0: Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now if you'll turn to the fourth chapter of Proverbs, I want to read one verse, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get an understanding. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask you to help us tonight to appreciate this opportunity to be here. We thank you for being the host of this meeting. For teaching us that you would be in our midst when we gather like this. And that thy spirit would be here to bring all things to remembrance and to show us things to come. We thank you for these things. And I pray that the end result of this meeting tonight might be that it would draw us closer to you and an understanding of your word and the wisdom that we can have because of it. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was thinking about it uh, just some time ago, how important these meetings are, especially when we look at the global scene, all of the things that are going on in the world today, You probably remember in your studies of the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10, uh, the Lord was talking about the importance of coming to the meetings, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. And he said, as the manner of some is, as we see the day approaching, as we see the day approaching, what was he talking about? as we see the day approaching. Well, in this church, we preach that the Lord is coming very soon. He's coming at any minute. It's imminent, the return of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the perspective of God in view of what's fixing to happen? Jesus Christ is fixing to come. And who's really thinking about it? It's very possible to even come to a a place like Calvary Memorial Church and not really allow your mind to enter into the significance of the words, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, as we see the day approaching. What was he talking about? As we see the day approaching. I mean, can you imagine how critical the information the Lord, the, the, that is in the mind of the Lord at this very moment, knowing that he could come at any minute? What is it that we need to be thinking about that we're not thinking about? I mean, I've often thought about the last words in the Bible and how... If we were getting ready to die, to leave this world, or we were writing down to people that we loved so much, what would be the last thing that we would say? Well, Revelation chapter 22 tells us. It's the critical nature of the Word of God. Do not add to it. Do not take away from it. Well, King David when his son ascended to the throne, it all of a sudden dawned on him how serious this responsibility would be to be the king of a nation of people, several million people that you would be responsible for to God. And all of a sudden, he realized his smallness, and he prayed, and he spoke to the Lord about the fact that he was just like a little child. He didn't know how to go out, didn't know how to come in. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 3. And so, it came to his heart, this immense need that he had, and that was for an understanding heart. And so he prayed and he asked God for an understanding heart. And God was so pleased because he asked for that rather than riches and honor and other things that God gave him an understanding heart and more wisdom than anyone before him or after him. That's what the passage says in 1 Kings chapter 3. It's critically important for us to think about these things because here we are living in the last days with the imminent return of Christ at the door. What is it that he wants us to be thinking about in view of the fact that the next thing we might see maybe before tomorrow is the savior of our souls. And yeah, he's here tonight. He said he would be. And he gave us this precious book. The source of all knowledge and wisdom is in this book right here. And I believe that the heart of God would be for us to love this book. And I'm sure that we do. But I would just like to put us in remembrance of just how precious this book is and how precious these meetings are and how important it is for us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because Christ is here. He's here. He's invited us to sit at his table and to feed upon his word. And so this is one of the things that occurred to me. The title of this message tonight is The Principal Thing. The Principal Thing. This is God's way of teaching us at this hour, at the imminent return, his imminent return, what's of utmost importance. What is the principal thing? I can tell you what it is. It's him. It's him. If you will notice this word, principle, if you look it up, as a matter of fact, it might be a good thing for you to do this at some point later on. I did. And I wanted to notice carefully from the dictionary the difference between the word principal spelled P-A-L, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L, which is what I'm supposed to be as principal of Calvary Christian School. Well, there's another word, it's principal, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E. It's spelled different and they have two entirely different meanings when you think about it. The, the word principle with uh, the PLE uh, has to do with things like a rule or standards, these are the principal things. But principle, P-A-L, is really a reference to a person, a person. And so when the Bible tells us that wisdom is the principal thing, it's spelled P-A-L. Have you ever thought about the significance of that? Well, I'll tell you what, understanding the difference between these two words can be the difference between heaven and hell. That's how serious it is. I want you to think about it. Folks, you can know the principle, P L E, which is the Word of God, like an angel. You can know how to quote Scripture. You can come to church for every meeting, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together and lose your soul forever. If you don't understand the significance, of the principal thing, P-A-L, is the person of Jesus Christ. Folks, knowledge of this book does not save you. It's Jesus Christ that saves you. And he is the principal thing. Receiving him into our hearts as our life is the principal thing. And so God is teaching us these things here in this passage. But the other thing I want you to think about is the wisdom that God had imparted to Solomon to know where to get it. He prayed to God. Because as we learn, if we were to have time to study it, from the book of James, I think it's chapter 3, There is wisdom that is earthly and sensual and devilish. There's the wisdom of this world. But then there's the wisdom that comes from God. It's the wisdom that comes from above. And James points out the difference. There's two different sources. And so the issue of life is knowing where do we have to go to get this wisdom Because without it, there is no salvation. Well, it's to God. And it's so critical, this information, that God wrote it in a book. And the reason is because we got a huge problem. Huge problem. We can't remember anything. We can't even remember people's names a lot of times. There's all kinds of things we cannot remember. And so we have to write it down. And the older you get, the more you have to write stuff down. We've got notes stuck all over our house. Sometimes it gets trashy looking because I have notes. If you go into my office looking around my desk, it looks kind of trashy. Why? It's because I can't hardly remember anything. I'm standing up here hoping I can remember what to teach you tonight. But God knows that we have failing minds. He knows that. And so he wrote down this critical information in the book, giving us the details about life and how to live this life, and about death, and how important it is to think about it. And to understand that he's the only one that knows what's on the other side of the grave. He's the only one. But we can be those who understand these matters if we'll just study this book. And so James tells us, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who give us to all men liberally and us not, and it shall be given. The Lord brought us here tonight to think about these things afresh. And I'm serious about this for my own sake and for the sake of all of us together. Here we are, a church family. What should we be thinking about? I believe one thing that we should be thinking about is how critical the message of this book is for this hour because Jesus Christ is fixing to come back and he wants us to think about some of the things that we're going to be ta- talking about tonight. So, the first thing is where do we go to get this wisdom? The Apostle Paul wrote Timothy and told him that in the last days, men would be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Because they're looking for wisdom down here. They're looking for it in the schools, in the educational system, in the colleges and in the universities. You're not going to find it there. It's not found down here. It's not found in here. It's not found in your heart. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. This wisdom comes from above. Folks, we don't need to be troubled about the news. Looking at the television news, you're not going to know what's going on. The only way you can know what's going on is read this book. This is the news, and you can count on it because God said it. And this is something he would have us think about at Calvary Memorial Church, is the importance of getting up every day and studying this book. It was the most important thing in his mind when he closed the volume of the revelation in chapter 22. Do not add to my word. Do not take away from my word. If you do, then I'll add the plagues that are written about in this book And you'll suffer those plagues. And so the Lord wants us to have his mind and his life. And that's what we need to be equipped to spend eternity with him. We need his thoughts and we need his ways. And there's only one source. And it's from above. But something that I've tried to stress in this church lately is that the message from heaven is on the one hand the most glorious gospel you could ever contemplate. It's so good, to many it's unbelievable, and they don't. It's that good. The fact that God would give to us everlasting life and take away all our sin, no matter what it is, past, present, and future. Folks, that's an amazing thing when you think about it. But the message from heaven is also a horrible message. I cannot emphasize that enough. I'm telling you, the Bible is the scariest book I've ever read. And the reason it is is because it tells us things that we would never know about ourselves if God didn't tell us. But it's God that tells us, and he cannot lie. And I'm telling you, it's horrible. He says there's none good. None. We might go around thinking of ourselves in these days just before the Lord comes back as being a good person. No, we're not. Do we really understand how bad we are? Well, I can tell you the depth of your understanding of that issue is your attitude toward other people and how you talk about them or think about them. And the Lord's warning is, inasmuch as you do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it unto me. We need to think very carefully about that so that our love for one another will be more and more as we see the day approaching. That's something else the Lord wants us to think about. But he says there's none good, there's none righteous. He says our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Apart from the salvation that he provides us in this glorious gospel message, Our end would be so great a death, it would literally be burning in hell forever, and it would be absolutely justified, and this is true of every person that's in here right now. We deserve to be in hell right now, every one of us, with no possibility of ever getting out. The only way that a person can escape the reality of what God says about us is to enter into the glorious gospel message and to appreciate immensely being able to come to Calvary Memorial Church, even on a Wednesday night, to hear somebody like me. And why me? Because I'm getting it out of the book. It's in the book. It isn't my word. It's God's word. And we all have the opportunity to to go and study it for ourselves like the Bereans to see if what's being said is really so. There have been times that I wish that it wasn't so. Some of the things that I say in this church. But I'm afraid it is. As a matter of fact, I know it is. I mean, think about it. The horrible message from heaven. The Lord Jesus Himself said, Ye are of your Father the devil, and the lusts of your Father ye will do. Where is Satan going according to the message of the Bible? He's going to burn in hell forever in the lake of fire. We are of our Father the devil. The Antichrist is a human being, a person. He's not Satan. He's indwelt by Satan, but he's a human being, just like you and me. He's probably alive somewhere right now, according to the message of this book. He's walking around somewhere in the world. We do not know who he is. But if we believe that Jesus Christ, his return is imminent, there is a person walking around right now, And that person is somebody's child, some mother that gave birth to this child, that loved that child, no doubt. And that man, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to burn in hell forever, right there in the same place as Satan himself. I learned that by studying the Bible. And it's in the book. And so we might not be inclined to believe these things. But how are we not going to believe it if God said it? And he did. Another thing I was thinking about in terms of the horrible message from heaven. And I spoke about this the other Sunday morning. I believe it was Sunday school about the struggles that I've had, even as a member of this church, even as a principal of this school, concerned about my actual relationship with the Lord. And um, it bothered me so much that I, I had a struggle with assurance of salvation. And and I, I felt like somehow or other I had to get hold of this doctrine of eternal security And get hold of it somehow or other and and hold it in such a way that I would sort of enter into that security. But the horrible message from heaven is you can't hold on to it. There's nothing in you that can give you any comfort whatsoever when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ. So I would like to encourage you to think about something very, very positive, maybe in a way that you've never quite thought about it before. The Lord showed me this in these struggles. And it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 10, where he's talking about, well, let's just turn to it. I see some of you doing that, so let's just turn to it, and you'll read it. Verse 27 of John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about what a comfort it is to realize in your struggle to know what your relationship to the Lord is that you don't have to worry about it. You can stop trying to hold on to that anchor that's sure and steadfast because your anchor is really his hand. We're in his hand. We don't have to do anything. We are safe and secure in the hand of God. That is eternal security. Is to be in God's hand. Folks, we don't have to do anything. And this is the uh, most mingled kind of thing that you could ever think about, it's a a mixture of vulnerability and eternal security. And it's mixed together because there's nothing in us, when you think about it, that can give us assurance of our relationship with God. You can't get it. God has to give it to you. And he does. And he's teaching us that we're in the palm of his hand, and no man can pluck you out of my hand. The Lord wants us to understand that here tonight. I don't know what your relationship is to the Lord. It may be that you, like me, have come to church many a time, and you just privately and secretly struggled with whether or not you were actually saved. If the Lord were to come tonight, would he be a person that would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, as Benny says so often? Or would he say, to your shock and dismay, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Folks, we all work iniquity. We all sin. Every day we sin. We think things we should not think. We look at things we shouldn't look at. We say things we should never say to somebody. We think things we should never think toward people. And so what is it that we're holding on to? Folks, you don't have to hold on to anything. You need to come to that point of realizing the horrible message. The horrible message is there's nothing you or I can do to merit everlasting life. He did it all. This is the significance of the word gift. Gift. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, we can rest in that. And so what we have here is a mixture of vulnerability and eternal security. I was thinking about the song that Isaac Watts wrote. Um, When I survey the wondrous cross, I love that song. It's the only song that I've ever really memorized. I, I have such a failing memory. I Sometimes I forget things and a word or two or a phrase might slip my mind and I have a struggle remembering it. So I wrote it down. It's the third stanza of when I survey the wondrous cross. See from his head his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? I'm telling you, I love that song. If I die, I want somebody to remember to sing that song at my funeral. I love that song. It is the most beautiful song. And the words that are in it and the message that's in that song are so powerful. I just enjoy it every time I think about it. But the point I'm making here is this mixture of love and sorrow flowed mingled down. And I think about that hand and this eternal security. And the mixture of eternal security and vulnerability that's in that verse. Important for us to think about things like this, folks. Very important. We cannot even hold on to what we have been given. That's why we're safe in the hand of God. We're that bad off; we can't even hold on to what we have been given, folks. We've been given so much. I mean, to be a member of this church, I walk around sometimes on the property and I look at what the God what God has given us here, and it's such a blessing to me. And when I think about coming down here and this church family, it's so special. <clears throat> this church family. We need to pray for one another more and more every day and grow grow closer and closer together every day with a pure heart because doing so is drawing close to the Lord with a pure heart. And so if we do not understand earthly things as the Lord said to Nicodemus, how can we think that we understand heavenly things? Every person in this church is so special that Jesus Christ would have gone to the cross of Calvary and died for that one person if it was the only one on the face of the earth. We need to think about that when we start talking about people and thinking about people. Very important. So the principal thing is the person of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, we learn the principal thing is the person of Jesus Christ who is made unto us wisdom. Jesus Christ is made unto us the principal, P-A-L, thing. And again, the the word principle refers to a person, not just a principle, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E, or a rule, or a standard, or a creed. And there's a multitude of people that think they're saved because they believe the Bible in their way of understanding believing the Bible. They might read it every day to feel better about themselves. But they don't read it every day to get closer to the person, the principal thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, time gets by in a hurry and I, I know I'm going to go over so many things I'm going to be leaving out. But I want to get into the substance of some of the thoughts that have occurred to me I've been teaching these things in chapel and I felt burdened before the Lord to bring some of those thoughts out in a message where the members of the church could hear some of these things that these kids are listening to in chapel. But there are five things that are enumerated if you go back to Proverbs chapter 1. You begin to see them in verse 2, to know wisdom, and then we run into the word instruction. And then we see the word understanding. And then he repeats instruction in verse 3. In verse 4, he talks about discretion. That's another important word. In verse 7 he talks about knowledge knowledge. And so there's a number of things that we have here in this passage that are critically important for us to think about. Wisdom, instruction, understanding, knowledge, and discretion. We want to think about those things a little bit tonight. But one of the points that I want to make is what we see in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the question is, why? Why is it the beginning? I'll tell you why. When you first Begin to turn to the Lord. There's an element of fear that is huge. Because you begin to realize that you're not like God. If you're going to believe the Bible, you're going to learn that you're ungodly. We are ungodly. We are not like God. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. And so we are afraid of God. The thought of God coming does not bring comfort. When we're honest about it, it brings fear. And it may be that you're sitting here tonight. And if you knew that the creator God was going to come tonight, and weighing in the balances is heaven and hell, how do you know you're going to be going to heaven? How do you know? It could be that someone is here that has what I had for a long time, fear, fear. I've talked to a multitude of people over the years that struggle with fear. But this verse is telling us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, knowledge. We're not talking about wisdom here. We're talking about knowledge, knowledge. Do you know why? Do you have the knowledge of why you fear God? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because this is what I learned. I'm not like God. That's the problem. Christianity is a journey. It's a journey. It has a starting point. And when you start out in this relationship with the Lord, I'm going to tell you something, fear is at the forefront of so much in your relationship with a holy God. That's right. But as you continue through this journey, you do like the disciples. You know, the Lord called them into the ministry. They left their nets, and they followed him. There was a radical change in their life where they turned away from the way they had been going, and they were truly converted, but they were filled with fear and uncertainty, They were filled with unbelief, all kinds of things. They did not understand the cross of Calvary, but they were saved. They did not understand his resurrection from the dead, but they were saved. There were so many things that he said and did, they didn't have a clue because they didn't have that knowledge. They didn't have that knowledge. And so the beginning of knowledge has this element of fear, and it's very real. But as time goes on, as you begin to get closer and closer to the Lord, and you sit at his feet, and you hear his word, all of a sudden you begin to get understanding of the knowledge of what he says. Because at the beginning we don't have it. And eventually the understanding begins to take away the fear. And of course at the other side of the understanding is wisdom, is wisdom. The ability to have discretion and to see the difference between a right choice and a wrong choice and the longer you live as a Christian, studying this book and making right choices the fear begins to diminish until you finally come to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. And here's what it says. Now listen to this carefully. Perfect love casteth out fear. Perfect love. I taught this in this church. I've been teaching it for really quite a long time, several years. And some people are still having a struggle with this because they can't understand how you can ever get rid of this fear of God. Well, the issue is very simple. It's not complicated. And the Lord showed me this. Jesus Christ does not fear the Father. Why? Because he has perfect love for the Father. And perfect love casteth out fear. Well, guess what? You know what the good news is that comes down from heaven? The good news is he gives us his life. His life. Well, the more you study the Bible and the more you enter into what he has given us, which is his mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, And when you do like the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I have his life. I have the very Spirit of God living in me. When you enter into this understanding, the fear goes away. And perfect love casteth out fear. The Lord said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. If you're sitting here tonight and you got this fear element still gnawing at you, I can tell you the reason. It's because you're not keeping his commandments. There's something missing. You're doing something wrong. Sometimes it's like not coming to church or not wanting to come to church. That's wrong. The reason is not doesn't have anything to do with the pastor. Doesn't have anything to do with the members in the church. It has everything to do with the host who said, "I'm going to be there," but where are you? And this is at every service. Every service. But you know what we're like. We pick and choose. Sometimes it's the speaker. We'll pick and choose. Okay, I don't think I'll go tonight. So and so speaking. That's wrong. You see, the thing that makes it always the same is the host. Do we come for the speaker or do we come for the host? Folks, the difference between understanding what you just heard is a difference between living an artificial life and knowing the real thing, what the Bible actually teaches. This is so important for us to to understand. So there's an there's an order to these things. And I'm going to give you the order. in the order you should think about it. It starts out in this chapter talking about wisdom first. But that's not the correct order to really understand the message. The thing you need to understand first of all is the importance of instruction. Instruction. And here's the reason. There are teachers that will teach you something that's not true. Those that are unfortunate enough to have their kids in a public school, they're not receiving the right instruction. That's a mistake. The pillar and ground of truth is a church. If you want to get the instruction right, you've got to be in the church. That's where you get it. And you've got to be careful who the teacher is. Every church is not the same. Some of these churches in town are preaching another Jesus. That's bad knowledge, folks. That's not good knowledge. That's incorrect knowledge. And so when it comes to knowledge, there's two kinds. Just like there's two kinds of wisdom. There's a Wisdom that's earthly and sensual and devilish, and then there's wisdom that comes from above. Instruction is critically important. Who is your teacher? Let me tell you something. I learned this in this church many, many, many years ago from Pastor Kelly. He said the first superintendent of public instruction is in Genesis chapter 3. Any of you remember him saying that? Some of you older ones? Possibly. The first superintendent of public instruction is in Genesis chapter 3. It was Satan. That's public instruction. That's the public school system right there. It's false knowledge, it's not true knowledge. In that book that Kent wrote, Christian education is the acquisition of true knowledge. And true wisdom There's a difference. And so the Lord is teaching us through Solomon in the Proverbs about the importance of instruction. Where do you get it? Well, you get it from, and I taught them this in chapel, the reference to her because it talks about wisdom in the feminine gender here is a reference to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. He was taught by his father, David, and his mother, Bathsheba. And he was encouraged to not forsake their law. Well, where did they get the law? They got it from God. They got it from God. And so it's very important to pay attention to these things. But then after instruction, there is knowledge, and you find it in this order. The significance of it is in this order. We've got to make sure that we're getting the true knowledge and not the false knowledge. But then there's understanding. And he says this over and over in here, like in verse 2 of chapter 1, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Listen. It's not enough to just read the Bible. You've got to get the understanding or you're wasting your time. And when you come across a passage that's not clear, study it. Pray and ask God for wisdom to understand it. If you don't understand it, you'll go through life without any power in your testimony. If you're going to witness to somebody, you better know what you're talking about and be able to explain it to them in such a way that they can understand it. Do you remember the eunuch? When Philip came and drew, drew nigh to the buggy, he asked him this question. He said, understandest thou what thou readest? And the eunuch said, how can I except some man show me? He was reading the Bible like a lot of people do that go to church. He didn't understand a thing. God sent the eunuch because he had a right heart. He wanted to understand. He sent Philip to help him understand what he was reading. So he opened the Bible to Isaiah 53 and he explained to him the gospel message in Isaiah 53. The eunuch understood it. And he's the one that brought up the idea when he came across water. And he said, What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip told him essentially nothing if you believe. If you truly believe with an honest heart, nothing hinders you from being baptized. This man had an understanding. There's power in understanding anything. But you're powerless as a Christian if you don't understand it. And then there's wisdom. It's the principal thing. It's the main thing. You remember when Pastor Garrison was reminding us in a recent message about uh, Carson Cox and what he used to tell his children the main thing is the main thing. I remember him saying that. We were good friends. I would drop by and talk with him quite a bit when he was here on this earth. And uh, he loved this church, loved the teaching, listened to hundreds and hundreds of the messages that came out of this church. The main thing is the main thing. What well, the Lord is telling us here. That the main thing is the principal thing, is having a genuine personal relationship with the person of God who wrote this book, who gave us this book. That's the main thing. It's the main thing in life, is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. And of course, I think I mentioned this earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 tells us that Jesus Christ is made unto us wisdom. That's the person, the principle. P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L, principle. The difference between those two words. And then the last thing, after you receive wisdom, is discretion. What is discretion? Well, it's actually the meaning of having wisdom. It's being able to choose right rather than wrong. So out before us, and this is the free will problem, out before us, we have one decision right after another to make all our life. The main is the free will and the danger of it exercising itself without this wisdom that comes from above. Because without it, you will never choose the right way. We need to be fearful above all things in this world We need to fear our free will. Great disasters take place in people's lives because of the free will. Now, I'm going to close by giving you just one final thought. I talked about it in Sunday school this past Sunday morning because it tells us um mm, somewhere in these verses, and it slips my mind right now exactly where it is. But um it's about them um I'm going to just give you the thought because I can't remember where the verse is right now. Maybe some of you that were in uh, Sunday school has got a better memory than mine can remember. But the Lord Jesus, in several places in the Scripture, said they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Why would somebody hate anyone without a cause? It's because whatever it is they're saying gets in the way of what we want the truth to be. That's the reason. And that's why they crucify Jesus Christ. But the thing that occurred to me as I was thinking about this the other week is that he loves us without a cause. We hate him Without a cause. But he loves us without a cause as well. Well, how do you understand that? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and I promise we'll close with this thought. Romans chapter 5. And I want you to think very carefully about this. Beginning at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's when we were yet sinners. Why would he die for us? There's not a reason. There's nothing in us that would be worth having that you can discover out of reading what the Bible has to say about us We're deserving of the lake of fire. So why would he love us? Why would he go to the cross and die for us? Let me give you the answer. It's because of his nature. You know what his nature is. It's love. It's not for what he can get out of anybody. Love is what you can give. It's not for something in return. There's nothing we could give him in return. Nothing. He loved us without a cause because it gives us insight into the person of God and the depths of his person. The depths of his nature. The depths of his character. The depths of his personality. He's the most incredible personality in all the universe. There's none to compare to him in his love. He loved us without a cause. And we hated him without a cause. What an irony that is. I hope that something has been said that will give us maybe a better understanding of some of the things that are so precious in this book. These thoughts are precious, I believe to us all, that know him, and he's fixing to come. And wouldn't it be good that we understood these things more perfectly? Upon his arrival, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. Bless the teaching of your word and every member of this church family. Help us to grow deeper and deeper in our love for one another and to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as we see the day approaching of your very soon return.